from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking Catholic, the official podcast of the Diocese of Camden and the Catholic community of South Jersey, telling the stories of South Jersey's faith shakers, faith movers. And as always, I'm Pete Sanchez, staff writer, social media coordinator for the Catholic Star Herald newspaper. And Mike Walsh, my co-host, is here with me once again. Mike, how are you? I'm very well, sir. Very, very, very well. A little tired after a uh, enormous Phillies or Eagles win last night in uh, Carolina, but uh, very happy. Oh, that's well. You know, it's funny. I uh, I was caught up in playoff baseball. Mm-hmm. I have not really been following football. Because uh, one of the things that I, I don't know if we talked about in October, what I love about October is playoff baseball. Oh, absolutely. It just, I watched the Cubs Nationals game and I just, you know, I feel so bad for the Nationals. They're like Sisyphus trying to push that rock up the hill and they can never get it to I'm the sorry, top. as a Phillies fan, did you just say I feel bad for the Nationals? I do. I that do. sentence Dusty has Baker. never occurred. It's Dusty Baker. It's the manager. All right. You can feel he, bad for Dusty. Don't feel bad for I the Nationals. I do feel, okay. Well, well, I like Bryce Harper too. Jason Worth. I gotta love Jason Ward 2008, what right. he did 2008. But it just, you're a different kind of Phillies fan. I'm a baseball fan, Mike. That, you are. That's I, true. You are a baseball fan. And I think I just I was rooting for the Nationals to finally get over, win their first ever playoff series, and they a bunch of things happened. It was a wild game that ended way too late, and uh, I'm <laughs> you know two cups of coffee before noon, which is not normally my speed, but no. I need it. Um, you know, before we get into the upcoming stuff, I just want to, you know, I want to recap something that occurred uh, two nights earlier, because I'm actually two nights on low low amount of sleep. Mm. Uh, the Justice for All dinner by Catholic Charities. I, had, uh, mm. I, was, I was able to be there helping out with the event, and I got to tell you, it was phenomenal. We, we, we've been promoting it on this podcast for the better part of two to four months and um cardinal tobin was outstanding hit it out of the park just just a group to use baseball parlance mm-hmm. uh he gave his remarks were so spot on and so wonderful particularly in in regards to what the people of south jersey do as catholics to better our communities and what we need to do and what we need to know about refugees being welcomed into and why we as Catholics are always should always have open doors welcoming refugees to us. Uh, we had a host of refugees that were there that night um, and uh, four young refugee women uh, gave a, a special uh, uh, gift to Cardinal Tobin uh, that they made at the site with clay in Collingswood. It's, it was just beautiful sculpture of the earth with uh, four young people sort of locked in hand, uh, sort of going across the globe. And uh, I have to say, you know, you're never sure how someone's going to respond to a a homemade gift like that. And uh, Cardinal Tobin could not have been more gracious and really, truly um, was honored that they they gave him such a gift matter of fact as he was leaving i was uh <laughs> i just offered to hold it for him as he was sort of packing up and getting ready to go he's like no no i'm not this is not leaving my hands so i get in the car because he uh-huh. really liked it that much uh, it also was a great event i got to give a lot of uh, praise to uh, resorts hotel and casino you know we, we moved locations this year and as i sort of joked with people you know having a social justice event at a casino might seem sort of uh 
unusual, but uh, the casino has actually always been a huge supporter of Catholic Charities' efforts in Atlantic County. Uh, so it was actually a, a, a perfect place for us to host, and they pulled out all the stops. Uh, their staff was outstanding. Uh, we also got great response from people. More than 300 people were in attendance, uh, which was wonderful. And Bishop Sullivan's remarks were as always uh, spot on. And the Disciples of Mercy, you know, uh, we should probably at some point have some of these Disciples of Mercy on the podcast about what they do in their communities. Yeah. If you go to Catholic Charities uh, of South Jersey or Camden Diocese, uh, you can find their stories on the website. Uh, and they're just they're just wonderful stories of, you know, your next door neighbor just, just doing great work. In, in the area, the, the ones in Glassboro where I live, they have a community garden where uh, I think we honored 11 or 15 people um, who, who till this garden with the sole purpose of providing food to the local um, uh, food bank in Glassboro. And uh, they're, they're just the sweetest human beings you'll ever meet. Had no intention of ever being recognized for something like this. Um, but someone in the community uh, nominated and uh, and the committee decided that uh, they were one of the, the five groups from the five deaneries uh, who would be honored. And it was amazing. And, and the woman from Camden, she's a retired Air Force JAG officer. And, uh, you know, she goes out, out of her way in her parish to really work with the youth there. And she's she's gotten a number of uh, the youth, uh, you know, at-risk students, essentially, um, into the military where they're where they're flourishing. Um, but all, but beyond that, I mean, also just reading with them that wasn't wasn't with the intention of going to the military. But uh, they've sort of seen her as a role model and now want to emulate her. So just great stories. And I hope next year uh, if uh you hear this or you've seen some coverage of it that uh, you'll you'll come out because it's a great event all the money goes uh to support catholic charities um uh work in the communities and it's just just a great thing so i hope people will come out so that was that's a recap of one of our previous many uh promos (laughs) for things coming up but uh what else we got coming well if i can segue for a promo i was not i unfortunately i couldn't be there in atlantic city uh because I was practicing, I'm involved in dinner theater mm. uh, performance at uh, Mater Ecclesia uh, Church in Berlin coming up early next year. So there'll be more information on that. It's just a fun time. I'm, I'm not a uh, not a uh, actor. This is my first time on the stage in a while since sixth grade. But it's uh, it's neat to uh, to get on. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's great to be doing this. The people I'm working with are great. It's challenging. It's going to be uh, a whirlwind until February, but there'll be more information coming up on that. So, but awesome. more, yeah, I'm, no, I'm excited. Um, but coming up more immediately next Tuesday, Mike, uh, you'll be at the Master Ceremonies for Theology on Tap. I will. Yes. At uh, Tiernanog. Yes, we Thank you, Sheila. Now that, that we know how to pronounce it properly. We do, from our last, uh, for our faithful listeners who heard Sheila McGurl correct me last time. It's Tierna Nogue, 482 East Eastern Road in Cherry Hill. And my God, it's the topic right in our wheelhouse miracles in the media, from fake news to Catholic media. Yes, we are a miracle of the media. The fact that we're still producing a podcast, nobody's kicked us off the uh, internet yet. I know, that is a. <laughs> <laughs> No, but we'll be uh, we'll be I'll be moderating a panel with uh, two of the hosts of Domestic Church Media's um, broadcasts in, in New Jersey, um, Jim Manfredonia and uh, Gabrielle uh, Fermato. 
Yeah. Um, is it Gabriella or Gabriella? I Gabriella. Always, Gabriella. I always butcher her first name. I have to, <laughs> to apologize for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, – and they're great. They yeah. they are what we hope to be someday, um, yeah. as polished as they are on the air. So um, so come on out if you're, uh, you know, younger than me. <laughs> it's for how old? Uh, 21 to 45? Yeah, 20, or 30, right? Yeah, it's about late teens, 20s, 30s, single yeah. and married. Uh, it's basically Theology on Tap is young – it's a discussion series uh, and gathering space for young adults. And it's going to be monthly. We're having it this month in Cherry Hill. And uh, you can get more information on that uh, by joining Theology on Tap-South Jersey on Facebook. And, or we're on Twitter. So look at our tweets, uh, Theology on Tap SJ. And right. uh, you can email Gregory.Coogan at KimDicey.org And that's, October, well. that's Tuesday, October 17th. Yeah, right? 7 p.m. doors open, 7.45 uh, it starts. So come on out. Good food. The Irish nachos are amazing. <laughs> and uh, no, it's just like good and Guinness. You can't beat Guinness and Irish nachos. Um but, and then the October 22nd, Mike, a week from Sunday, uh, the Vitality as Bishop Sullivan is celebrating a uh, the White Mass, yes. which uh, will be honoring the physicians, nurses, healthcare professionals in uh, our diocese. That's October 22nd, 1130. Uh, that's sponsored by Vitality Catholic Healthcare Services. Uh, Bishop Sullivan celebrating the Mass at St. Luke Church in uh 55 Warwick Road in Stratford. Uh, it's just really, it's going to be nice to honor. There's going to be a mass reception for these individuals who help, uh, you know, they care for the sick. It's mm-hmm. such a, so, you know, it's part of our call as Catholics. Yeah. You know, we, this is also coming off the heels of the Blue Mass, and actually the National Red Mass is coming soon, uh, and the, uh, and the White Mass. So this was all featured in, a, in an edition of the Star Herald about two weeks ago where we featured the Blue Mass. And I realized that the Blue Mass, the Red Mass, and the White Mass were all in the same paper. So it was a very patriotic paper. I was very, 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 <laughs> very red, white, and blue. But those yeah. are, those are particularly if you're in those fields, like I worked for law firms for a long time. So I'm very familiar with the Red Mass. Um, but the White Mass, if you're in that field, I always encourage people to go to it. Um, much like yeah. the Blue Mass, you know, it's it's really an opportunity to pray for the people who are first responders. This is an op- red mass and white mass are also a, an opportunity to pray for the attorneys who we often have to rely on and the doctors who, unfortunately, we often have to rely on um, to to really you know keep us going. Um, so if you are a uh, a healthcare provider, a doctor, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, you know whatever uh, you know whatever you're category is in the medical field you're invited to the white mass and we certainly hope you'll uh, you'll come to it yeah. and that's again sunday october 22nd uh 11 30 a.m and that's it's just sponsored reception sponsored by the south jersey catholic medical association follow the liturgy along with guest speaker father jeffrey uh, t cesarone and there'll be the presentation of the saint luke awards for leadership in catholic health care three individuals uh, so for to rsvp uh Email Karen.Fisher at KimDicey.org or call 583-6123. So those are the events coming up in our diocese. Hopefully you can go to one, if not all of them. They're just all all great, uh, all great stuff happening. But Michael, today we ha- we are joined by we are a packed vault today. 
We are a packed vault, Dad. We're because we're getting new carpets in my office. The vault is a little full of boxes at the moment. <laughs> we're literally, um, and packed. we have a, we have a few extra people with us today. So we do. Who's with us today? Well, today we have Jeffrey uh, Cristofaro, the executive director of the Canada Center for Law and Social Justice, and two people from the Canada Center for Law and Social Justice: Jeff D. Cristofaro, executive director, and Lisa Ancalingo, family unit coordinator. Uh, Jeffrey and Lisa, how are you today? We are good. Wow. Thank you. Thanks for having these, us. And these are our neighbors. Uh, they, they, they're only a few, uh, what, half a block, a block away from us? Something like that? Yeah, yeah. Right, right down the street. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so it's... it's uh, we should have them over for tea more often. I agree. There's a, there's a nice Chinese restaurant right next door to you, too. <laughs> yeah, Lisa, Lisa frequents. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We'll have to get together for lunch. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Uh, so can you talk about your work uh, with... What is the Camden Center for Law and Social Justice? Well, sure. Um, so uh, this is Jeff. <laughs> everyone. Um, so the Cannon Center for Law and Social Justice is a private nonprofit law firm um, serving the legal needs of the poor and working poor in Camden City, but really throughout the whole diocese. Uh, we were founded um, way back in the 80s by Father David Brooks, um, based out of North Camden, um, based out of the parish there in North Camden. And then in 1994, um, we kind of incorporated separately with some assistance through both the diocese and the uh, the Jesuits, the Maryland province, and some lay attorneys. And we kind of incorporated it a, as a separate law firm um, over the years, uh, particularly as that neighborhood that we were first at in North Camden changed and there was more immigrants that came in. We started to do a lot of work um, in the immigrant community. And probably about 15 years ago, we started doing some work in domestic violence as well. Um, so now, as of this year, um, we are the largest provider of um, free attorneys for victims of domestic violence in Camden, in Camden County, which has, um, every year since I've been director, which is going to be 12 years upcoming, um, Camden County has had the most domestic violence in the state, anywhere between 5,500 and 6,000 incidents, and hmm. we are the largest, largest provider of free attorneys for that victim population, and then also for the immigrant community. We're the largest provider of immigrant um, immigration law, legal services, um, pretty much south of Trenton. Um, so we have offices for our immigration in Camden here. We have an office in Atlantic City in the Catholic Charities Building. The diocese gives us tremendous, tremendous support. Part of that support is um, having that building uh, or having that office in uh, Atlantic City. And then we also have an office in Bridgeton um, in, in, in the rectory there. Um, uh, so we're there as well, meeting with immigrant clients, um, there. So, uh, our, our work now primarily focuses on those areas, immigration and domestic violence law. Um, we get, in addition to diocesan support, we get grants. So, um, we do a lot of grant writing. Um, uh, we also get some private, um, foundation money as well to support the services that we do. And in some of our cases, we do collect fees from clients, but they have to be, you know, they're, they're, they're lower fees. They're a percentage of what a private attorney would charge. Um, but I think, and, and, and so one of the reasons um, that we, uh, I asked Lisa to come today too, was uh, October's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And Lisa, in addition to running the family um, program, is, um, I like to call her the domestic violence rock star, attorney rock star here. She, um, she does a tremendous amount of domestic violence cases. Um, she does anywhere from 85 to 100 trials a year. So those are going into court, what you see on TV, objection, your honor, and talking to witnesses. Um, it's not uncommon for her to have two or three trials in a day. 
um, helping these victims, all of which, by the way, the domestic violence work is all grant-funded, so that's all done free of charge. Um, and in addition, she helps a lot, of, a lot of other clients. So that's a little bit about us and a little intro into what Lisa does. And Lisa, how long have you been with? Uh, I've actually been here about the same amount of time as Jeff. So this is, uh, September was my 12th year, starting my 12th year. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. And I exclusively represent victims in Camden County. And I'd say 50% of the victims are from Camden City mm-hmm. that we see in the county. Wow. And, and kind of what brought this, what brought to you to this as, you know, sort of your vocation? Well, I had, I had been an attorney since uh, 1990, and I had the opportunity to stay home and raise my three sons for 10 years, and uh, I eventually became divorced and had to go back into the workforce, and I, I like to say that this job actually found me, and it turned out to be a, a perfect niche for me, and something I'm very passionate about, and, and uh, love coming to work every day. Every day's new. That's uh, that's great. I, I we were talking a little bit before we uh, started recording that uh, I worked for another organization called Volunteers of America, uh, and they too had a domestic violence program. However, it was a bit on the flip side. They specifically worked with batterers, um, so I, I'm very familiar with uh, domestic violence issues. As a matter of fact, I saw Pete's got the uh, the uh, was it the the power, power control, control wheel, wheel. Uh, sitting there, and I was like, wow, I haven't seen that in a couple of years. And then sorry to say that it looks like it hasn't changed much in that period of time. Um, but, um, you know, uh, October is domestic violence awareness month. Um, and it's always, I know breast cancer awareness month gets most of the play, but it's always been something that I've tried to promote, uh, is domestic violence awareness because of my, my time at Volunteers of America. Um, so, you know, for you, um, you know, what, what can, what can we do as Catholics, uh, but just as community members to really, supportive of people who are going through but your your firm and then what people are going through with who are who are self victims of domestic violence I mean just uh, I guess the easiest thing is just to have a an open heart and open ear for people who need someone to talk to and victims especially the victims that we represent they have just so many needs um, and just saying is there anything I could help you with you know just be there for somebody they need not just not just money, but maybe they need food on the table because quite often the abuser is the one who's in charge of all the money, and the victim once they make this huge step to leave a abusive relationship, they have they have no money, which means they have no food, they have no money to get school clothes for their children, um, they may not have a car to get their children to school, so they their needs are huge from yeah. everything from food to clothing to um, Maybe someone to watch their children for a few hours so they could go interview for a job. Uh, maybe someone who's got an extra car sitting around who could loan someone a car for a few days. Just, I guess, just ask and try, try to be aware. And yeah. and uh, there's a huge need. For and, and domestic violence isn't a thing. It's a spectrum, right? It's a, it, I mean – uh, domestic violence may not be a physical violence. It, so, may, it may have other elements to it, right? So New Jersey is, I'd say, probably the most progressive state in the whole country, and I'm very proud of that. And now we're up to uh, 19 acts of domestic violence that kind of constitute the whole spectrum of domestic violence, and those are taken from the criminal statute, although domestic violence cases are heard in family court. And they range from uh, homicide, which obviously we wouldn't have someone who was killed, but if if it's a brutal enough attack, it's considered homicide on the restraining order to reg- to assault all the way to harassment. And we have terroristic threats. We have 
kidnapping, we have stalking. There's just 19 different. Yeah. And, and they're all serious. And, and if I can jump in, I don't want to get too technical here, but what, what Lisa said as far as New Jersey, um, a lot of people think that there's a crime of domestic violence. In New Jersey, there isn't a specific crime of domestic violence. There are all of these underlying criminal actions mm-hmm. um, that then can result in, in someone coming to Lisa and saying, I want to get a final restraining order going to family court. But in talking about the support that um, our victims need, many times while Lisa's going to court to represent them in family court to get this protection order, there's also a criminal case going on. Mm-hmm. You know, so so say, and, and I'll use this as an example just because the statistics show us that most of the victims that come forward are women, although we do assist men. Um, I'll use this as an example. So, you know, the boyfriend beats up the girlfriend and he's charged, the boyfriend's charged with assault. Um, girlfriend comes to Lisa. Lisa represents her as a client, but there's also that criminal case. And that girlfriend may have to be, uh, that victim may have to appear at a municipal or, or, you know, superior court hearing as a witness. And there's also support that's needed for that too, sometimes to accompany the people with, you know, to court these victims, um, to court, um, to help give them the strength that they need in order to, to go forward with the criminal aspects of the mm-hmm. case. And a lot of times, you know, um, a victim just wants the abuser to get help. They're not looking to end a marriage or end the relationship, but they want to be safe and they want their children to be safe. So we're fortunate to have a huge wealth of resources available to us, you know, in the county, including uh, Volunteers of America who could help with batterers counseling. And oftentimes there's drug, alcohol, mental health issues. So we try to, why not maybe pursuing the restraining order? We may do something where the abuser must stay out of the household until they jump through these hoops and get a drug evaluation and follow through and and get alcohol treatment and go to anger management. Um, so there's lots of things that we can do to uh, put them in the right direction on getting back to a healthy relationship, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And each situation is, is kind of independent of itself. I mean, there is, would you say there's a typical domestic mm-hmm. violence situation or they're, they're all fairly... Every day unique. is unique and different yeah. and that's what makes it so exciting. Um, yeah, every day is different. And we have uh, one of the newest statutes of the 19 acts is cyber harassment because mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot more of that, particularly when a relationship, usually like a dating relationship, has ended. And then the abuser will post things online, maybe inappropriate pictures or videos, um, just all sorts of things that go on now that we're in this computer and Internet age with social media. Yeah, and, and we see, I mean, it, 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 right, it goes across spectrums here, um, you know. I use the example of, of a woman, but men are victims. Um, it doesn't matter where you're from. You know, we have most of the domestic violence in this county, about half of it does come from Camden City, but we get folks from Haddonfield. Um, you know, we get victims from, you know, uh, folks that are professionals, mm-hmm. folks that aren't professionals. Um, we get a lot of immigrant clients, too. Less now, because they're afraid to come forward to some extent. Um, but but there's certainly, a, and there's a particular play um, between the immigration aspects and the domestic violence aspects, but it really doesn't, you know, matter. We see it across the spectrum, regardless of who you are. And I think it's a misnomer that a lot of people assume that the um, parties have to be married. Uh, in New Jersey, that's one of the five protected groups that can apply for a restraining order. But also people who have a child together, who you know sometimes are not married, people who are in a dating relationship, people who are household members. Mm-hmm. That could be anything from two people in a group home to a grandfather. 
uh, versus a grandson, you know, the grandson may have a drug issue and it's destroying things in the house or stealing things from the house or getting, you know, aggressive and abusing the grandparent um, to people who used to live together. So it's not just a, a husband-wife relationship. Yeah. And that's interesting. Um, you know, you just going back to domestic violence doesn't mean that you've necessarily been physically hurt. I mean, if you fee- if your property is being damaged by someone, yes. that's uh-huh. would fall under that. But It'd be criminal mischief, right? Or if it's the parties own a home together and the defendant is angry and punches holes in walls, and that would be harassment it's yeah. behavior trying you know to keep the victim in line. Yeah. So, and that is another misnomer is that it has to be someone who has a black eye, and that's the only victim that there is. I, I had a victim when I when I. Prior to this job, when I was at legal services, um, and I was a supervising attorney there or senior attorney there, we had a victim who shared her story. So, um, shall remain nameless, but she was very short, short in stature, mm-hmm. um, nice lady, and her husband would do things to bother her. For instance, he would take all of the dishes out of the lower cabinets and put them in the higher cabinets, um, specifically to and leave nasty notes for her in yeah. the lower cabinets. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. things like that that. You know, you might look at that in your own sensibility and say, well, that's not that's not harassment. Um, but this repeated behavior specifically meant to control mm-hmm. and bother and harass um, is domestic violence. And mm-hmm. it's considered as mm-hmm. such. And it should be considered as such. Quite frankly. So we get all the way. We get that. And that's the most common that we see. Yeah. Really? Is harassment. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we go all the way from that to another client that, that, that Lisa we, had who was. We had a young lady uh, earlier this year and she was stabbed. 47 times and she survived um yeah so you know it's it's a spectrum for sure Mm -hmm. yeah i remember you 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 had a client once uh, a really nice young lady and um lisa was was printing these photos of these these horrible injuries um she'd suffered a a very bad beating horrible injuries to the face um really swollen and um this at the time she looked like she was in her 50s and she'd come in Several months later to meet with Lisa, I mean, I think she was so injured um, that she couldn't. And we saw her in the waiting room. We're like, who's that beautiful, know, beautiful young lady sitting in there? Who whose client is that? And it turned out it was mine. And she was just unrecognizable in the photographs. Wow. Literally did not know who this person was. Wow. Um, and we're happy to say that the criminal case on that matter just got heard. And he uh, he's looking at so he's been sentenced to several years in prison now. Uh, yeah. And it, it was unfortunate because his attorney, their big argument was that she nothing was broken. He didn't break anything. So That's it's not that big of a deal. But yeah. this poor young lady was just pulverized. Yeah, the, the, the things that you hear or that Lisa hears certainly from, from the other side in some of these cases are, you know, I, I guess sometimes doing this so long in a yeah. professional aspect, you get used to it. But, but, you know, when you're not used to it, to hear some of these things, it's just it's shocking that, that someone even forward that and, and domestic violence is so insidious because oftentimes there aren't scars i mean you 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 may have neighbors that from all from, from everything you can tell are perfectly fine but in reality there's you know domestic violence very under the radar there that is fairly typical right and it's interesting my a couple of years ago my my oldest son sent me some photographs and it was basically three different women f- with photoshopped injuries one had a black eye one had a huge cut on her face and it was making the point about how um, emotional and verbal abuse is just as damaging 
if not more so than um, than physical abuse, because the wounds you know cut deep and they actually last longer, because that's what tears down a person's self esteem and and pride and self worth, mm-hmm. and that's the most common thing. And it's um it's exhausting for a victim who's at home being subjected to this every day, and then they have to go out into their their daily life out in the world and act like everything's fine and happy. Yeah. And that's why it's I think it's important when you have that maybe that next door neighbor who they kind of keep to themselves and. You know, or maybe you do hear yelling coming from the house, like maybe reach out and see if everything's okay or, if, you know, if they needed anything. And I think particularly within our client base, um, you know, since we're helping folks free through, through grant funding through the state and through the support of the diocese, it's hard enough as a victim, I think, to free yourself from that situation for a variety of reasons. You know, you, you've got children there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, you know, the, the, the victim uh, a lot of times is not the primary, you know, breadwinner. Um, but I think our clients have an additional hurdle is the financial resources. How, how am I literally going to, even if I, if I can, and I've got to that emotional state where I'm ready to do this, how can I, how can I do this? And one of the ways of providing a free attorney helps to assist there, you know, all right, so you don't have to dedicate your resources to an attorney to free you from this horrible situation. You might be able to dedicate those resources towards housing or transportation or all these other issues that that our victims have to face. Because if someone does get a restraining order, we go to court and get a final restraining order, New Jersey is just so progressive in all the different relief that could be given to a victim, including, you know, money, monetary support, they stay in the house, the, the abuser is removed from the house, just all sorts of relief that can help a victim become whole. Um, and something about um, something sad about harassment cases is that we get so many victims and they come in and they say, well, you know, he only he only did this. It's not like he punched me in the face or something. Yeah, right. And they, you know, they minimize what's been done to them and we quickly dispel them of that myth and say, no, what happened to you is just, just as bad. Uh, and with regard to children, studies have been done that show boys who witness domestic violence are more likely to become abusers and girls are more likely to become victims. So again, through the Camden County Women's Center, which is a wonderful agency, and uh, we just are intertwined with them deeply, they um, they have something called the PALS program. It's called Peace, a Learn Solution, and it's geared to children ages 3 to 12 who have witnessed domestic violence, and it's a free program, and they have art therapy, they have different things like that, and... Uh, you know, to help uh, these young kids. You know, I'm curious, over the past 12 years, I, actually I'm thinking about 12 years ago is when I was involved with the Volunteers of America program. Um, how, how do you think, have you seen things change or have, have things remained fairly consistent, either from, you know, the state being more uh, progressive in how it classifies cases or changes in judges' opinions, changes in attorneys or, you know, uh, prosecutors, police departments, anything? (laughs) Well, I mean, the prosecutor's office here in Camden County is wonderful, and and we work well with them. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we do have issues with certain police departments um, that just, you know, like, oh, he was, you know, he was drunk. He'll be okay when he sobers up, and Mm -hmm. so give him a second chance. And they really shouldn't interject themselves that way. But um, the state... Yes, they're being very progressive and very supportive, and they periodically add these new offenses. Um, in fact, a huge one they added is violation of a restraining order. Mm. Um, and that in and of itself is a new crime that can be added onto the restraining order, which shows that a victim needs even more help because this person's just not getting it and just keeps you know, contacting yeah. the victim. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, on the, on the victim side, um, you know, the, the numbers – show that, that we're seeing about the same number of victims 
um, you know, but both at the county level and, you know, at our local office. So we're still seeing the same number of victims. When you mentioned the judges, I think one of the issues um, that anyone in family law, and particularly folks in domestic violence, is it seems in family court, um, whether it's Camden County or other counties, new judges a lot of times are appointed at family. Mm-hmm. And then they're in family for a little bit. And it's not like a 20-year career in family. It's a three- or four-year career in family, and then they move to another division. Um, so a lot of times, attorneys like Lisa and, and other folks that we work with have to educate the judges sometimes on the law, you know, yeah. and have to be able to sit there and, and, and educate the judges on, on, you know, what the law is and, and how it works. Lisa had a case yesterday where, um, you know, we, we had to do some of that. Um, thankfully, the, the judge found in, in, in our favor. But, you know, that, that, that's a common, a common theme. And we do have monthly meet. Well, not monthly anymore. They're more like quarterly, but it's called Domestic Violence Working Group. And uh, prosecutor's office comes. People from the court come. All the police departments are supposed to come. And unfortunately, in Camden County, there's 34 police departments, and I think six show up regularly, the same six. So uh, so there's you know there's work to be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you... I heard this thing. You, you, you two use the phrase final restraining order. Is there... Is that a distinction? Yes. So when uh, when there's domestic violence and the victim has decided to take that step, they could, depending on the time of day, they could either go to their local police department um, or where the crime occurred or where the defendant lives, but usually they go to their own police department or they can come to the courthouse here in Camden and apply for a temporary restraining order. And that would be served on the defendant. If the parties live together, the defendant would be immediately removed from the residence. And then because it's what they call an ex parte application, where they're only hearing one side of the story, that being the victims, they come to court within 10 days. It's a very quick turnaround because someone's been removed from their home. Maybe they're not allowed to see their children if there's children. And then usually at that court date, it's postponed maybe for someone to get an attorney or to gather evidence. And then when you come back to court the next time, there's either a trial to try to make it a permanent restraining order or maybe there's some other resolution such as counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, so a final is forever in New Jersey, and the mm-hmm. defendant is fingerprinted and put into a national registry. If there's any weapons, <coughs> if the defendant has any weapons, they can take weapons. Um, so we'll say when, when, when Lisa talked about supporting victims, one of the other ways you can support victims is have an open mind and understand the sensibility. So we have victims who, who the, the defendant, the person that's doing the abuse, might be a police officer. And they might kind of think about it and say, you know what? Yes, I have been victimized, but this person is paying the child support for our children. And if I get a final restraining order, he's going to lose his gun and he's going to lose his job and we are going to lose the financial resources. So I can live separate and apart for him, but I don't want that final restraining order. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that was hard. I have to be honest. As, As a new attorney, me coming up, working through family law, working in private practice and then legal services before I was here... It was hard. It took a little while um, for me to realize that I can't substitute my experience and my sensibilities for some of the victims. That's something that Lisa is unbelievable at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Being able to really empathize with these with these victims that she works with on a daily basis. And, and sometimes they're just victims aren't emotionally ready to mm-hmm. take that huge step, and uh, we can't push them. You know, and yeah. it's frustrating. But eventually, I just we just tell them, "Don't be embarrassed. Call us back." You know, mm-hmm. when it happens the next time, and unfortunately, often it does. And, and provide them with the resources that they'll need if they decide they don't want to go forward with it. In addition to all of her trial work, too, 
Lisa also does a lot of times what are called private agreements or consent agreements where they say, okay, we won't go to the level of restraining order for a variety of reasons, but we'll sign an agreement between the parties mm-hmm. about what type of communication or what type of contact hmm. they can have. Um, and, and there's a variety of reasons for that, you know, from, from, from a legal standpoint. Um, but yeah, that's important when you're talking to victims to understand that the decisions you might make yeah. could very well be different from the decisions a, a victim might make. You, you touched on something uh, uh, earlier in the very beginning um, about the sort of like this cultural perspective to it, too. So, I mean, uh, so uh, particularly regarding immigrants who have concerns about coming forward. Um, so I have two questions. One, uh, for particularly for undocumented immigrants, sort of, well, actually, let's just go with that. For undocumented Im- immigrants, do they have the same rights as a, a, docu- a typical citizen? Uh, yeah, when, when it comes to this area of law, and really a lot of family law in New Jersey, um, they, they retain the same rights. So, But specifically for victims of domestic violence that are immigrants, and specifically undocumented immigrants, um, not only do they have the full protections of the law of New Jersey, um, but there also could very well be immigration, immig- immigration law benefits mm-hmm. um, that they could avail themselves of if they are victims of domestic violence. Um, so, for instance... One of the grants we get from the state is something called um, is to work with victims on something called a U visa mm. or a VAWA application, and I can briefly tell you real quick what they are. So a U visa is a is a specialized visa for a either witness or victim of certain serious crimes or domestic violence. Um, and in order to get this U visa, not only do you have to show you're a victim of this crime and show you're of good moral character, but you also have to get a statement from the local police department or prosecutor's office saying that you are helpful. So in other words, you're helping them go after the perpetrator here. You're helping them go after the bad guy. Um, if you can get all that documented, you can then apply for this special visa that will allow you to be here for four years. Mm-hmm. But after three years, you can actually apply for a green card with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a tremendously helpful um, tool for law enforcement. Um, you know, after after um, the recent election and with respect to some of the, the comments on immigration, we got some calls or I got some calls from some, some folks, the police department and other law enforcement saying, Jeff... I have a witness here who, who's undocumented, who, you know, witnessed a major crime. Are they going to get deported tomorrow? Yeah. Because if they get deported, we don't have a case. Right. Like, what do we do? You know? Um, no, there's a U visa. You know, we, we can help you out. But, but that's why that was implemented. VAWA is for folks that um, you have a U.S. citizen or green card holder that's a legal permanent resident who uh, married someone that is not a citizen and brought them over. And under U.S. law, the citizen or green card holder is in charge of the paperwork. Mm-hmm. They're the one that does the inviting. Well, say, you know, you marry someone and you bring them over and then you start abusing that person. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll say to the spouse, well, I won't finish your immigration paperwork mm-hmm. unless you, you know, submit to these demands or, or, or put up with this abuse. Under VAWA, that, that victim is allowed to finish that paperwork <clears throat> on his or her own. Mm-hmm. Um, again, though, if they're afraid to come forward in the climate, they're stuck in this limbo. Yeah. You know, they're stuck either they're not coming forward and talking to the police because they're scared um, or they're not coming forward and talking to us. We, we did a, a an outreach um, right here at the, at the cathedral a couple months ago, and we had a, a local um, uh, captain from the Camden Metro standing up there with us saying, I am to the immigrant community speaking in Spanish. I am here. I am not immigration. If you're a victim of a crime, if you're a witness of the crime, please come and tell us. We are not here to go after you. And I think that's really important for folks to know, not just for community purposes and safety, but also it, it, 
you know, it could help them. Could yeah. Benefit them. Yeah. yeah. And sort of my follow-up question to that is, do you see cultural differences? Say, for instance, um, Mexican, Puerto Rican, Vietnamese, Burmese, local Americans. Uh, do you do you see that? Uh, do you do you find that you have to interact with people differently, or that there that certain cultures might be less likely to make a domestic violence claim? Absolutely. I mean, just even uh, with people who are you know who are residents, uh, we get unless it's a hugely serious case. We don't see that many cases from a Cherry Hill or a Voorhees or a Haddonfield because I think people don't want anybody else knowing their business. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't see that many Jewish clients, uh, Asian clients, Indian clients are, tend to be more private. Uh, we get a lot of uh, immigrants from Africa and it, it saddens me because oftentimes we've had, uh, we've had our female clients and their family tell them that they're a disgrace to their husband if they take their husband to court or pursue this. And they're the ones who pressure their own daughter to dismiss a restraining order. Uh, and it's very sad. Yeah. And, and, and we also don't see nearly as many men. Like I said, we represent men. I'd say 15% um, of my clients have been yeah. men. I'm looking at some stats from 2015 and it says 26% are men. They tend to be more victims of uh, stalking or uh, stabbing assaults, actually. Yeah. So, mm. so we see, right. So, so, so our client base is on, on male is lower than what the statistics tell us nationally happens. Yeah. But um, we also see when you look at other people that do what we do, they run about the same stats that we have. Yeah. So everyone kind of has this lost 10 or 15% of these male clients that are coming forward. And there's some research on there as to why, you know, maybe it's an embarrassment thing or, or, or whatever. Um, but, but certainly yeah, we see that. Which, which is true because I've had men clients and they're mocked in court by the female defendant's attorney or the police officers, um, you know, all sorts of reasons. Yeah. Uh, and just this week I was in court and there were several older like over 50, let's say, male victims whose, uh, whose defendants were family members, either grandsons or sons who had drug issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's something very, we're uh, seeing that more. very often. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is that something that's happening more often, the, the victimization from a drug abuser? Yeah, I mean, I, I seem to be seeing that more. Lisa deals with this every day, but... Um, you or, know. or victims who self-medicate with mm-hmm. with drugs. Yeah, um, that's very very yeah. common. Or alcohol. Yeah, yeah. So so certainly, I mean, I've definitely noticed that over the last several years that, right, um, that we're seeing more the victimization is because someone was was going after drugs or again they're yeah they're, selling stealing things from the household yeah. to pawn to to mm. buy drugs. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And some of those are, are all these cases are sad, but some of those are particularly sad. We'll have some folks that are older. You know, yeah. I mean, in their 60s or 70s, and they're dealing with, with grown-up children. Yeah. Um, you know, kids in their 30s and 40s. And that, 50s. And 50s that are now addicted and are, you know, abusing a parent for... And it's heartbreaking because you know, you've got this 70-some-year-old parent, some year old parent mm-hmm. who's still working because yeah. they have to because, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. right. they're dealing with the situation. You know, you both used two words recently, sad and heartbreaking. And these are very emotional stories. I'm just curious as professionals who have been doing this for 12 years, how do you handle your own emotions? We're, we're just talking about that on the way over here <laughs> is that there's, there's a term for it. It's called uh, compassion fatigue. Yeah. And you, you know, you just, mm-hmm. there's actually, I think they've done study. Well, I don't know if they've done studies, but I know at the prosecutor's office, they've kind of figured out that after five years, someone who does domestic violence cases needs to be moved to another unit mm-hmm. because they're just so burnt out. So you just have to have an inner, inner monitor to know, 
that you're getting a little extra grumpy or less patient or whatever and you need to step away and take a mental health day or go work out at the gym or have a nice glass of wine but you just you just know and, and it's nothing wrong with that because you want to keep helping people and if you can't help yourself you're not gonna be able to help anyone else we've always been um cognizant of that at the law center um, working in this field. I tell everyone, Lisa started a few months before me, but I tell everyone, for most of the staff, um, people smarter than me picked them because they were here before me. Um, and the reason I think so many of our staff members have been able to stay so long is we try and give that flexibility to everyone we work with. Yeah. You know, if Lisa has a couple cases in the day and she needs to go home and not go back to the office, she can go home. Yeah. She, she does 100 trials a year. She helps 400 victims. She needs to go home. She can go home. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, 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 we're not about that. We're about making sure that we're helping and, and we're rested and, and we've got what we need um, to make sure that we're helping the victims. But, yeah, we were actually just talking about that <laughs> earlier today. And, and also, I, I know everyone always says this about the, the folks they work with, but we are extremely tight. We really are a family. And because of that, someone can go into Lisa and say, Lisa, you might need some time here. You just yeah. had something real emotional. You just had a, a real tough case. Um, why don't you take a day? Or why yeah. don't you, you know, take some time? And Lisa's going to snap back and, and get defensive. Lisa's going to look at that and say, "Wow, this is someone that cares about me." Yeah. Talk to me. And we're like that. We're, we're you know, we're, we're all like that with each other. Yeah, so. I was just going to say. I was going to ask that question. If you know, working so many years together, you can see, you can read each other, and know if you know maybe they need to step away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we try and do that. We, we try and do that for each other. We're certainly there for each other. Um, but it is. It's something I was aware of going into this um, burnout. And when I look at the staff and look at how talented our staff is, how amazing our staff is, um, you know, I don't want to lose these people not just because I love them, not just because, you know, they're good at what they do, but literally they are irreplaceable. Yeah. I can find other bodies to do it, but someone that has the wealth of knowledge of Lisa or Carol that runs the immigration unit or Evelyn or is, is you're just not going to find them. Yeah. You're just not going to find them. I was curious if, if you brought in, I mean, with, with, with such a big caseload uh, for both of you, I was wondering if you brought in, you know, law volunteers or law student volunteers or interns or... We actually had a nice, in, nice thing yesterday. We have a, a young lady. Uh, are we allowed to use her name? Uh, well, I think that? they all know her. I think I Joanna think they, Gardner. Uh, the delightful Joanna Gardner, yes. of course. So she is. She does amazing work. And I this case we're just talking about. Well, I don't know if we were talking about it on the air, but we have a case, kind of a high profile case, and uh, the defendant lives out of state, and his his New Jersey lawyer and his out of state lawyer said, well, you can't make him come to New Jersey. You have no jurisdiction over him. So Joanna did this spent ton of time doing all this research and wrote a brief for me, which is great because I'm in court so much. I don't have time to do that. And uh, that was just the basis of the papers that we submitted in response to their work. And then that motion was heard yesterday. It was two hours long. She was able to come and see the fruits of her labor. And she got a huge hug from the uh, the client. That's great. Because we gave credit where credit was due and said, Joanna did all the work on this. So uh, give her, you know, give her a hug too. And she got one. Well, and, and just to talk about Joanna for a moment, Joanna uh, worked for me for a, a bit and uh, she was the communications manager for Catholic Charities uh, and 
is stellar, uh, had a fellowship in journal, uh, Catholic journalism, and then turned her back on us as communicators <laughs> and decided she wanted to pursue a law degree. And while I am still upset about it, she uh, I know that her clients will be the better for oh, it because be she, she just has that kind of motor to her. So, Joanna, it's good to hear that you're being successful after having turned your back on me. Um, but otherwise, <laughs> no, but she's, I, I, she's I, great. She's yeah. ours now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, you're going to love her. One, one, one more comment from her. She, she over the, the I, I met her through her work at the Star Herald. She had done some articles on us. And, um, and then when I found out she was in law school, um, I said, you want to come in and shadow at the office a day? And she came in and she really enjoyed it. So she emailed me over the summer and said, are you taking any interns or externs this year? And I said, we hadn't thought about it. Are you going to be an intern or extern? She said, yes. I said, then we are taking one. And her name is Joanna. Um, and right. And it was, you know, normally we interview them as the staff knows. And I said, I'm bringing this person in. And of course they, 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 you know, they all loved her. Um, I will say one other thing though. You mentioned about caseload, um, just so the staff doesn't doesn't kill me. Um, the staff has a high caseload. My caseload is very little. I do take some <laughs> cases, um, but I do mostly administrative work. Um, okay. But I, I do. I, I mean, I take cases mostly immigration. Um, I was a family lawyer for years, and then sometime, probably around five or six years ago, I started self-identifying as an immigration attorney because <laughs> those are the cases I, I normally take. Um, yeah. Thankfully, uh, Lisa, we have another colleague that works with us and also works with Rutgers, Denise Higgins, who's also a Another phenomenal attorney. Um, thankfully, they bring me in and they ask for my advice, and, and I can help strategize. And, and we drag him into court periodically to keep him keep him <laughs> honest. Periodically, <laughs> yes. Um, but but yes, yeah, so so I can live vicariously through you know through through my, my colleagues. Yeah, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff had jury duty yesterday and kept yes. popping up on the breaks to see what was going on with our <laughs> with our case with uh, with Joanna and everything. Wow. Yes. The uh, the and you know just getting back to the to the the center overall. I mean, domestic violence is a large part of it, but I mean, you've actually been in the news quite a bit, Jeff, over the last couple of years, just related to the changes in immigration policy. Yeah. Um, do you want to touch on that briefly? You know. Yeah. Sure. So, um, our, our our domestic violence work, we assist about four hundred victims a year. Um, again, mostly through Lisa and Denise doing some work. Um, our immigration, we get anywhere from three to 4,000 client contacts a year. Mm -hmm. So those are people reaching out to us. Um, about half of the client contacts become clients of ours, whether it's doing a consultation, um, sitting across a table with someone, whether they're here documented or not documented, we'll come in and we'll give them a consultation, all the way up through doing you know court cases where people are in what used to be called deportation cases but are now called removal cases. So we'll do everything from just a you know talking back and forth all the way up to a, a full court case. Um, yeah, we have seen a lot of change over the last um, several years, both in policy mm -hmm. um, and in rhetoric. Um, you know, the 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 policy changes up until recently have been good for our clients. Um, there was a, a program called DACA, also known as Dream Act, which mm -hmm. was a, a, an administrative program that President Obama started. Um, when I looked at our numbers, um, when, when President Trump announced that that program would be ending in March of 2018, and we kind of pulled all of our files to to provide assistance for this small group that that could apply apply within this one month period that was given to us. Um, we ran the numbers and we we assisted over the five years between initial applications on DACA. And renewals, about 600 we had wow. done over a five-year period. Um, and these are mostly for kids. Like So these are folks that came in as, as children um, and for all intents and purposes are American. Um, mm -hmm. Some of these clients of ours did literally did not know 
they they weren't American citizens until the parents told them the day or two before they were coming to our office to do this paperwork wow. mm-hmm. to provide this this minor protection, but some protection that was given to them. Um, so certainly we see that um, every election year. Um, we see an increase in the number of people that, that are here with permission and have green cards, they're residents, but want to become citizens. It happens, you know, every cycle you see that, every four years, the presidential election. This year it was, it was certainly bigger, not just on our end, but also um, when you would go to the local office in Mount Laurel, they were running citizenship ceremonies much more frequently than normal mm-hmm. um, as part of a, a push that they always do. Um, so, so you certainly see that. The fear that our clients are seeing are real, is mm-hmm. real. I mean, it's it's... And it's not just based upon, in the past, we've seen heard rumors and this and that, and people get scared. We're seeing more folks get it, getting picked up and put in detention, awaiting immigration hearings. Um, there's an enormous backlog, by the way. There's yeah. about 650,000, 600,000 cases and um, about 500 judges to assist them. So it's not uncommon when someone's picked up for them not to go to court in immigration for years, where at least someone can come in Monday and have court on Wednesday. Um, but anyway, that, that fear is there. So we're seeing the same number of clients come to us and ask for consultations. Um, every Thursday at our Atlantic City office, um, we're open for walk-in consultations. It's the only office we do that in. And we'll see anywhere from, you know, eight to two dozen people, depending on, on the particular day. Uh, we always have a Spanish-speaking person down there. So we're seeing the same number of people come down for consults. But when we tell them you're eligible for something, mm-hmm. some they're backing off a little more. They're afraid to give information to the government. And we're seeing this across the board. Um, we work very strongly with the Mexican Consul's Office in Philadelphia. We're there once a month. They give us some office space to meet with clients. We do programming with them. And we also work with some other attorneys um, through that program in Philadelphia. And we recently had a meeting with the consul and the secretary from North America from Mexico came in and there was about eight lawyers. They were all saying the same thing, mm-hmm. just the fear. The fear, the fear is out there. So we're combating that. We've been doing outreaches. Um, so people know their rights, um, mm-hmm. know what happens if you're stopped by immigration or the police. Um, we've been doing um, outreaches on, you know, immigration programs that are available because despite the rec- rhetoric, the law has not changed. If mm-hmm. you were eligible for an immigration benefit on the day before Donald Trump was elected, you're still eligible. If you were eligible for a benefit on the day before he was inaugurated, you're still eligible. Um, but, but yeah, we just, we, we, we see that fear. We see that fear. So we're, we're, we're dealing with that. We're, we're, we're trying to combat that in the best way that we can. Um, but quite frankly, when you talk about support, what we can do as Catholics is do what this diocese has been doing, mm-hmm. has been, you know, welcoming the stranger, yeah. sharing the journey. Yeah. You know, yeah, the, the, the diocese has been unbelievably supportive of, of that. And, and people of faith and other people of goodwill, if we can get together and let folks know that there is a community yeah. that, you know, I understand they may be afraid to go forward and, and, and provide stuff to, to the government, but if they know there's a safe place, if yeah. they know that you're accepting, if they know that you're welcoming, if they know that you're going to give them the dignity that they deserve as, as humans, as people, yeah. that is the first step. And that really does help yeah. when, when, when folks know that they've got this environment, yeah. you know, at, at the very least to talk to someone, you know, so they have our information. So if something does happen, they know, they know where to turn. Yeah. And just, just and, uh, to, going back to the diocesan leadership, uh, that's something that's very strong in the heart of uh, Bishop Dennis Sullivan. And we saw this past uh, Wednesday, very strong in the heart of uh, Cardinal Tobin, the Archbishop uh, of Newark and the head of the province of New Jersey. So, um, you know, I think that's something we're going to continue to see the Catholic Church uh, being in front of. And you also see it uh, coming out of the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops as well. They've been very vocal, very strong. 
uh, in, in making sure these protections are maintained. So unfortunately, it's about time for us to wrap up. I was just curious, are there any plugs? Uh, how would how could people get in? Uh, we always always hit the plugs, even if it's on a, on a, on a stern topic like this. So how can people reach out if, uh, if they want to, if they need your services? So, so I'll tell them about us real quick before Lisa goes into a plug or two. Um, so you can catch us on the web at www.cclsj.org, Facebook page. Um, you can also give us a call at our main number, 856-583-2950. Um, we do have someone that speaks Spanish that answers the phone, and that's for our immigration and our domestic violence work. Um, you mentioned volunteers earlier. We do have volunteers. Um, we uh, ha had a longtime volunteer that passed away about a year ago that had been with us for 10 years, great attorney Bill Eisenberg. Um, we have another volunteer that looks like he'll be starting an attorney in January. Um, but occasionally we need volunteers for other things, particularly if there's a change in immigration law um, or immigration policy like what happened Dream Act. We had attorneys volunteering and other folks volunteering. So if you're interested in our services, absolutely. You can, you know, um, our email information is on the website. You can give us a call. Um, you can Facebook us. You can send us a smoke signal. Um, you know, whatever you need um, to get a hold of us, certainly, you know, certainly reach out. Okay. And uh, an upcoming event? Yes. Uh, this being Domestic Violence Month, the Camden County Women's Center is having their annual fundraiser. It's going to be Wednesday, October 25th at 6 p.m. It's at the Collingswood Grand Ballroom at 315 Whitehorse Pike in Collingswood. Um, they ha It's a wonderful event. They have... Um, they just started having it served for dinner, mm. and it's going to be uh, catered by our own Cathedral Kitchen here in Very Camden. Nice. Excellent. They have a cash bar, uh, and what, why it's, it's called Dessert Night, and they get free donations from all different bakeries and restaurants, so there's just a ton of cakes, muffins, cookies, <laughs> puddings. It's just wonderful, wonderful. I've, yes. I've been to that event, and it's outstanding, and for a gourmand like myself, it's just a whole lot of grazing all the way. Yes. And, and, for such a, and it's a great event, and, and the people who are there are wonderful, and it, it really is, for such a serious topic, it is a fun event, so you should really... Make the opportunity to come out if you can. If you if you want to buy tickets now, they're sixty five dollars at the door. They're seventy five, and you can go to camdencountywomenscenter dot org if you would like to buy a ticket now, Excellent. or just show up on the night of the event on the twenty fifth. Yeah. Just say Lisa sent you. There you go. <laughs> uh, so as uh, with every every podcast, we end with uh, three questions. Um, I have two for once because I'm a, a fan of attorneys. Still in my finger. I am. I am. The one. I, I, I am one. I, I'm the one. I, <laughs> You're the one fan. Yes. Okay. Right. The attorneys always like talking to me because I come from that world a little bit. So we're okay. So I'm curious. I ask this to attorneys from time to time. From each of you, um, what is the best attorney movie that's been made? That let me rephrase that. Represents it most accurately. Oh, my oh, I was going to say, that's a hard one. But I think one of the best attorney movies and an inspiration to me, obviously, is To Kill a Mockingbird. Right? Mm. We're all familiar with that. Yeah, and, sure. Um, so that's the one that always springs. You can't say My Cousin Vinny? Absolutely you can say My Cousin Vinny. That's my I'll wife's that one. That's my wife's favorite movie. And I, that's one of those movies that comes on. Okay, we're going to watch this for the rest of the evening. My, my wife seems to believe that's one of my favorite movies, and it might be, but I haven't admitted that to her yet. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, earlier we talked about uh, de-stressing a little bit. So this is so – so aside from sort of taking a personal day, um, what is it that you do to just de-stress? I mean is it your, like the glass of wine? 
I go to the, I go to the gym and I work out at the gym. I like going for walks along the Delaware. I like refinishing furniture. I like spending time really? with my sons. Very healthy. All those sound very, very healthy. Jeff? So the other day, um, <laughs> Lisa, remember, because she's the one that said this to me, uh, I was had some very stressful things going on between work stuff and home stuff, and I'm at the office, and one of our coworkers said, um, Jeff, why don't you go home? And Lisa said, no, I think he's here, so he can he can distress here. Um, but no, obviously, I'm spending time with my family. Um, when I have the time, I do some woodworking. Um, you make, made some furniture and some rocking horses and stuff in the past. Um, I, I enjoy movies. Uh, mm-hmm. I like your TARDIS over there. Um, you. you know, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of, you know, hanging out with the family, um, finding some time to distress. I think my family and my kids would say, dad, you need to do more of the distressing, but well, yeah. that's yeah. good. As opposed <laughs> to saying, Hey, old man, get up. I'd say, I'd say watching, I'd say watching sports, but between the Indians loss, um, and, and the exciting Eagles game last night, I'm back and forth. He keeps <laughs> promising to bring in his personal trainer to our office on a Friday, but he has yet to do. Yes. I, yes. I, I work out as well. Yeah. You can't nice. tell, but I work out as well. And, um, yeah, that, that is that's a the, yes. That would help that's us a, a lot. Great distressor. <laughs> we we have you know we had the Vitality Health Healthcare folks in here uh, a couple months back, and they still say the same thing. You, you want to feel better about yourself, you got to burn some energy. It just gets yeah. the endorphins going, and yeah, yeah you're much like much uh, less likely to keel over dead uh, with something like yeah. that. One of the things I've tried to practice lately is giving up, uh, making a sacrifice. I've given up the elevator. I just take the stairs, you know, mm-hmm. not, not so much today. I took the elevator up from the second to the third, but, um, that's, so I, I changed my question to you, Jeff. Uh, can you make nicer chairs, like wooden chairs for us? <laughs> no. Wait, you mean our, you mean our 1960s era <laughs> kitchen chairs are not comfortable refin- enough for you? I will refinish things for you. It reminds me of being home and like over the kitchen table. You yeah, know? I'm kidding. This, I'm this kidding. is, this is not the literal one, but this, if you're wondering, the table I ate around as a child, it was this table <laughs> with those chairs. I don't know how, I didn't know they made two of these terrible, <laughs> terrible sets, but this is what I grew up with. So I, when I come into okay. the vault, I'm very comfortable. <laughs> but uh, but the, the standard uh, last question we give is the best advice. Yeah. What's the either one you've given yourself, or one you've heard, or one you've received? But like the best of advice you've ever heard. I'd say that the, the best advice I give myself, so I could continue helping victims, is that I can't solve all their problems. If I could make them, if they leave my office and leave my care better than when I found them, then I'm happy with that. That's very healthy. And I think for me, it was it was know thyself. It took me a while to, mm. as a lot of young people do, right, to figure out who you are and, and what you felt comfortable with. That was particularly good for me when I left private practice, um, you know, a, a, to come and do the type of work that, that I started doing was mm. knowing what, what I needed to do to fulfill myself. That's excellent. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I hope wonderful. the vault didn't freak you out too much and all of our extraneous boxes lying around. We'll clean it up for the next time you're back. And, uh, and Jeff, we'd certainly like to have you back in a, at a later date to talk about other issues going on, uh, particularly related to immigration. And, and Lisa, if there's anything, you know, if you, have, if you ever want to come on to promote anything that, uh, of the you. domestic violence nature, please come back. And uh, for everyone else who's listening, I hope uh, you took a, a lot away from this. And maybe, maybe there are people in your lives that you didn't realize were going through domestic violence issues, but hopefully this may have enlightened you to, to maybe there's an opportunity for you to give them help, or perhaps you never realized you might have been in a domestic violence situation because because of the nature of the the life you lead. So uh, I hope you hope this will be of uh, benefit to you. And Pete, I hope uh, 
Hope this was good for you. This was wonderful. Just a great, you know, good, uh, important topic to talk to uh, discuss. And I'm glad that you two keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Lisa and Jeffrey. Th- thank, thank you. Thank you. We love just talking to you guys. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you're you. You're welcome back time. anytime. Yeah, well, you please feel, come back. Uh, Pete often threatens to have a sports podcast at some point, so I think I think we have the new the new person to come back. Yes, I must, I think it's going to be Astros and Dodgers. Yeah, we took a break in the middle of the podcast, and there was a heated discussion about how how much Jeff and I were how much energy was it being expended <laughs> as we were watching the Eagles game the other night. So uh, so thank you everybody for listening, and uh, this has been Talking Catholic, and uh, we hope you'll check us out again. God bless. I'm from LA. I love the Dodgers. Oh. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, that's.